Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Yes, if you're a child, you may be dismissed to the uh, children's program, Kingdom Kids. This is for four years old through fourth grade. We're having the great honor and privilege of studying this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And uh, the early church would have passed this uh, letter around to all the Christians. It's for all Christians of all times. And it's truly a wonderful, amazing letter. The theme of the letter is the glorious grace of, of God given to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, I've chosen the title Saved by Grace today. And uh, that our psalm, I wanted to just re revisit, thank you um, Regis for reading the psalm so beautifully. And this psalm, it, it has, it's, a poet, it's about a king who gets married. But it also has this depth of meaning that points to Jesus, the King of Kings. As Regis said, it's, we call that messianic, uh, having to do with the Messiah, who is the Christ. And, uh, and as he said, it's quoted in the New Testament to prove that Jesus Christ is God far above all. Uh, like verse 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's Christ, the Messiah. And it talks about the amazing beauty of, of this prince. Verse nine, 8, it's so rich and beautiful. From ivory palaces, stringed in instruments make me glad. Back, back in the old days, before me, there was a, a hymn that went like, Out of the ivory palaces, into a world of woe. Something like that. Uh, anybody remember that? Thank you, Ed. <laughs> and, and Juan in the back. <laughs> Out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe. Even though it's, you know, framed in kind of old-fashioned sounds, it's a beautiful uh, reflection on this psalm. This is, this is Jesus. He lived forever in perfect setting. Uh, ivory palaces. Uh, I've actually had a huge privilege of being in a few ivory palaces in India. Uh, the, uh, 
like the Taj Mahal is made of ivory, and across from it in in Agra is um, another red fort. There's a red fort in Delhi. I've been on mission trips. I've been there a few times. But this fort across from the Taj Mahal is the living quarters for the Mughals, who uh, were Muslims, who were um, dominating India at this time. But they they had paneling made out of ivory, <laughs> engraved, incredible wealth. You know, for us, paneling, you know, if, if we're wealthy, we might buy pine. <laughs> Nowadays, you buy, like, sawdust that's pushed together real hard, which is not going to be here in 500 years. Uh, but in India, you see the really, really old, beautiful, beautiful ivory. So it's interesting that the psalmist talks about Christ coming from ivory palaces. And then, I, I think it's interesting, it relates to uh, Ephesians, because what's happening to the Messiah, to this king in this psalm? It's, he's, what's going to happen? Read just what happens to him. He gets married. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's a marriage. Uh, it's a marriage. Who is the bride of the Messiah? The church. The church is the bride of Christ. And uh, this is talking about the church. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she is led to the king. You know, this is a picture, again, poetically, beautifully talking about what the church is. And we are the bride of Christ. Many colored would be you know, apply to the ethnicity of the church. The church is not homogenous. You know, it's uh, very much diverse. Every tribe, every nation, every language. You know, DLI does a lot of languages up there, but the church is more diverse than DLI. Um, and this beautiful cacophony of languages that will be in heaven. They're going to be speaking their own languages. There'll be, you know, all kinds, Mandarin, Cantonese, uh, you know, Indonesian. I, I, obviously, I can't name them. There's how many? Thousands of languages, right? All the tribal languages, et cetera. Um, many colored robes she's wearing, and she's made perfect for the king. And that is the church, and that is what the church is to Christ. We looked at this last week, uh, verse 22, 22 and 23 of chapter 1. We finished, I shouldn't say we finished, but we sort of came to the end and left a lot there, what we didn't touch. But verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church, if you're a believer... You're made miraculously into the bride of Christ, and you are the body of the Messiah, and you are uh, the fullness of him. I just ponder that. You have to say, what does that mean? You know, what it means partially is that we are his, 
his representative. We are his work. We're his accomplishment. At the end of, of time, the church in its beauty and perfection will be spotless, without spot or wrinkle, the Bible says. Is his perfect bride for the perfect king. How did we get without spot and wrinkle? Well, believe me, it's not from our own efforts. It's from the, uh, look at, look at Ephesians 1, right there in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? It takes immeasurable greatness of power to make us, and I no insult intended, but to make me and you into the perfect, spotless uh, bride of Christ, which is the fullness of Christ. In eternity, Christ will be there, his body, the church, <clears throat> the two shall be one, and will we'll be the, the fullness of Christ. Look at what he did. The miracle, the power, the the power of his life and death and resurrection. And, excuse me a second, I have a slight cold, but I'm, I feel pretty good, but I don't sound that great. And so we, we look at this concept that Christ has this body, and the body is the fullness of him who fills all in all. And Paul leads us with a transition of and. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. See, these are definitely the walking dead. Dead man walking was a, a movie, or at least I think a line from a movie talking about people on death row. Uh, but the God is saying that human beings are dead men walking. Because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But you're walking. <laughs> At some level, you're still operating and alive. You're, you walked, and you're walking according to or following the course of this world. And you're following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? It's the spirit that is now at work. He is currently at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. This is all of humanity. This is an accurate description of human beings. All of us in the same state, among whom we all once lived. So again, you're dead but you're living. You look alive, but in some sense, you're dead. Uh, God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of, of the fruit, you will die. But something, something died. You know, spiritual death, a separation, uh, huge darkness came upon us at, in terms of awareness of God. I mean, people can live their whole life and truly, truly believe in their heart that there is no God, right? They can die that way. There is no God. 
And that is an incredible spiritual death because we live and move and have our being in God. So everything you have is a gift from God and you don't even believe in God. Now how whacked out is that, right? Um, among whom we all once lived. What's this life like? Well, earlier he said it's a following of the prince of the power of the air. It is uh, this person, this individual, this powerful, negative, evil force is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And it's living in the passions of our flesh, he says. Um, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, you might say this sounds like a pessimistic view of humanity. Sociologically, this sounds really negative. But the Bible would say, no, it's, it's not pessimistic. It's just accurate. You know, I love the, I don't love the analogy, but think of the analogy of going to a doctor and you have a disease. And, well, in fact, I have a friend who was vacationing in uh, Thailand over Christmas break. And um, she was riding a, a scooter. And she rides a scooter all the time, but she wasn't used to this scooter. Got in an accident, broke her leg. Really sad. Had a big, big surgery after this in Bangkok, Thailand. And then, unfortunately, she developed uh, uh, blood clots. And she has both, bl both lungs have blood clots in them. By the way, this can be terminal. It's a pulmonary embolism, it's called. And you can die from it if it's in, you know, big enough and in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, my dear friend, you, know, you wouldn't want the doctor to give her an x-ray and see this little this blood clot there and say, oh, you're fine. You know, be happy. Have a cup of coffee and you're great. You know, yeah, we'll, we'll discharge you. No, you want the doctor to say, her name is Cindy. Cindy, you're, you're terribly ill and this is potentially deadly. We've got to treat you aggressively. We've got to put you in ICU. We've got to give you you know, blood thinners, IV, we've got to be very aggressive about this. Because why? It's potentially deadly, right? You don't want the doctor to lie to you. Is, is the doctor being pessimistic when he says you have bilateral pulmonary embolism? Oh, don't be so pessimistic, doctor. <laughs> I'm sure I can drink some herbal tea and be just fine. Essential oils, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. He's not being pessimistic. He's being realistic. And the holy word of God is not being pessimistic about humans' condition. It's being accurate. Now, is it a contrast from what you hear everywhere else? Kind of, sort of. <laughs> I heard on the way in this morning, on, I, I listened to the radio for entertainment, right? And they were talking about the character who plays Jean-Luc Picard on Star Trek The Next Generation, right? Uh, that guy, great, great actor, great actor. And I love his haircut, okay? <laughs> he said he tried out for that part, and the last tryout he wore an a amazing, very expensive hairpiece. And they told him, lose the hairpiece. <laughs> but... Uh, 
what, they that what the interviewer was saying to him about that series, I think it's eight, nine years, a long time, that, oh, it's so wonderful because it describes how, how humans have evolved to their better selves, you know, uh, in this fantasy world, right, in this fantasy world, um, now that's just not real. We aren't evolving into our better self. Are we better than Cain? Have we really, you know, gotten a whole lot? Well, we've solved this whole passionate murder thing. <laughs> no, we haven't solved this. We believe me, human beings are the same. That's why literature works, because it's describing humanity. <laughs> Good literature, you know, and certainly the Bible. Uh, it, it describes real humanity. So what we look at here in verses 1 through 3 is why is grace necessary? Why is grace necessary? This happens to be, by the way, this says Anders M. Wren died in November 8, 1877. He's my great, great, I think great, great, maybe great, 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 uh, grandfather, the first Wren on American soil. I kind of like that he has a cross and crown up here, a symbol of, of hopefully Christian faith. Uh, why do I put this up there? Because the, the text says, you're dead. The tombstone reminds us the, uh, of this huge reality. Why is grace necessary? Because I'm, 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 not, I'm beyond hopeless. I'm dead. I need... Intervention here. Uh, I, I need huge help. I'm not going to be able to raise myself from the dead. Uh, I like this little kind of a comic. Uh, it's a preacher. Repent and believe the gospel. And the sinner is dead in the coffin. We can't respond. Without the work of God, no human being can respond. You, you, you are dead. That's how much grace you need. You see? Um, and look at the way it's described here in verses 1, 2, and 3. How is this death demonstrated? In which you once walked, as I already said, walked following the course of this world. And, and the word course there is interesting because it often is translated um, age, Ion, Iona, um, meaning what's popular. You know, you were following what's popular in the world. And I, I thought of Broadway. You're following the Broadway. Jesus said the Broadway that leads to destruction. Um, if I was naming a road, I probably wouldn't name it Broadway just for that reason, you know. Um, Broadway, of course, is this street that's amazingly long in New York City. It starts way, 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 way up north and goes all the way down through the city. But you get down to about 42nd Street, and that's where you have, uh, on Broadway, all of the theaters and all the Times Square and all that interesting stuff. And, and that's what God is saying here through Paul the Apostle. You once walked in just what was popular. Everybody, everybody's doing this. It's the common thing. It's the default mode. And it's the course of this world. That's the way we we live, we're according to that. And then following, again, according to 
uh, following the prince of the power of the air. And you know, just think about what is that phrase? It, you've got the, the, the worldly way and you're also following uh, evil Satan, the devil, all of these things. Uh, it, there's a powerful evil out there and you're just living according to this powerful evil. That's what it means to be dead spiritually in your trespasses and sins. The prince of the power of the air. Why? That's an interesting description. It's just saying that Satan is prevalent everywhere. It's like the air. He's available all over the place. He works everywhere. And by the way, the Bible says he's an angel of light. He doesn't appear, you know, with red face and horns. He, a lot, most of the time he doesn't look evil at all. He looks very inviting, inviting and friendly and um, comforting. And the, he'll whisper things in your ear like, you deserve this, you need this. Uh, how, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Our popular culture says. And then also look at this death, this spiritual death. It, it's very interesting. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Currently working. Now, I, I must say this. I, if, if you've been a part of our church for a while, and several of you have, you know that one of my most, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Ephesians 1.11. Uh, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I love that because it's just a massive definition of who, who God is. He's, he, he is the one who's working all things currently, and it's a present tense word, participle, that describes who he is. Who is he? He's the one who's currently working all after how he's previously decided it should be. Now, we call that in theology the sovereignty of God. He's sovereign, which makes him unique, holy other. I can't work everything. I can hardly work anything after how I've decided it would be. Uh, you know, I'm able to make some plans and get things done a little bit, but to be ready for the unexpected. I didn't know that would happen, right? That was a surprise. Where did that come from? Wow. We had the great privilege of going on a little family trip to uh, Yosemite this week. It was fantastic. It was wonderful. Sadly, no snow, but maybe next time. But we were going over Pacheco Pass, which is the way to the valley, and I was just cruising along, and this big, huge truck came right in front of me real quick. Like, I had like 12 feet to spare. Thank goodness I saw him right away. Braked. Everything was fine. What was happening? John was behind me. It, what happened was there was a terrible accident in the slow lane, and the truck was swerving out of the way to, to you know, save uh, the situation to, to, ex, to an extent. Now, why do I say that? It's because I had no idea that 18-wheeler that was going to swerve in front of me. Right? I had no idea. Thank the Lord I saw it. I had enough space to, to get out of the way. 
but I just didn't know. See, that's not God. He knows everything. He created all things. He's the one who works all things after the counsel of his own will. And the word there, energuntas in Greek, energizes. Energuntas, the present active participle. In other words, the participle is describing him. This is who he is. It's very part of his nature. Why do I say that? Because energuntas is in this passage too, which to me is kind of creepy. Because I love that word when it comes to Christ. But now it says, the Spirit is now at work. It describes him. He, that's his whole thing. He's at work in the sons of disobedience. It doesn't say he works all things. Okay. But he's working in, he's active. This foe, this enemy, this uh, individual spirit and all of his hordes. The spirit now at work. And in who? In the sons of disobedience. That's a great kind of a biblical phrase. Uh, it comes from a Hebrew idiom. Uh, John, is it John and James, I think? They're called the sons of thunder in the Holy Scripture. Sons of thunder. And, and it meant like, this kind of describes who you guys are. You're, you're into power and the, the display of power. Well, the sons of disobedience, and it, notice, he's not saying a small group of humanity. It's all humanity are the sons of disobedience. We're, we're rebels against God. To be a human being is to be born into a state where you are the enemy of God. You are a rebel against God. I don't want God. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And so th that's the situation. Uh, and he's, he wants to make it very clear. The next verse talks about us. I just sort of put the whole verse on the screen because I want us to, to think about these words. Among whom? So the church, before they're saved, individuals, the church is living among the sons of disobedience. Among whom? among whom we all once lived. Again, you're dead, but you're living. You're the walking dead. This is death. The way you're living is death. Among whom we all once lived, and then he describes it, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, Children of disobedience, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. What does that mean? It means that before you're saved, you're currently under the wrath of God. The, Jesus said you're condemned already. You're condemned. You're born broken and condemned. You're not okay. You're far from okay. You know, like my friend Cindy in Bangkok, Thailand, the doctor says, Cindy, you've got two pulmonary embolisms in your lungs. We need to aggressively treat it. You're not okay. You know, green tea is not going to heal you. You don't need a small patch. You need intensive care and the most aggressive we can be because you're in a very dangerous situation. That's what it means to be a children of wrath. We, we're under 
the condemnation of God. The wrath is the wrath of God, clearly. He, he's, he condemns sin, and we're, we're dwelling under his wrath. And no, notice the last phrase, you know, right there, right? Like the rest of mankind. <laughs> it, it's, it's not just a small group of people. It's everybody. Everybody's this way. Why is grace necessary? That's the material that God is working with to build his church. You know, I like to build things. And, you know, I go to the store, like we were building a deck at the place, at the, our house. And, long story, which I won't bore you with, but just get to the point, and this is the point. We go select each deck board. And with my dear wife, Charlotte, literally, we're in Lowe's an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm not lying, okay? We're looking at each deck board, all four sides of the board. And nah, 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 yeah, yes, no, yes, no. And then we'll put, this is the maybe pile, okay? Because <laughs> we're getting down here, and I'm on my you know, hands and knees praying <laughs> in, 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 uh, in Lowe's, sorting through the lumber. What am I saying? When I build something, i got to start with a decent product because I don't have immeasurable power. <laughs> Jesus takes the, the, the refuse of humanity and builds us into the perfect, spotless bride of Christ, and we are his workmanship like the rest of mankind. So... He describes this realistically. You know, you're, you're, you're terribly sick. There's not much hope. There's no hope for you in yourself. Your body's not handling this at all. Then verse 4, but God. This is like the two most exciting words in the Holy Bible, you know. Why do we come to him? You are God. You are the God of salvation. He just sang this over and over. The Lord is my salvation. Uh, you are the God who can save me. That's why I need you. That's why grace is necessary, because I'm dead. I'm, I'm not a decent board. I'm messed up. Okay? That's what I bring to the equation. I don't bring my own you know, talents, gifts, abilities. God, you'd be wise to save me. I could really help you out. <laughs> No, 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 no. The Holy Scripture says this, but God, and I, the, the word is so rich here, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. He loves the church. He has great love for us. If you're a believer, he loves you. Uh, he is rich in mercy. And look at what happens because of these things, this rich in mercy, great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. And, and here's what these verses say. But God, yeah, he made us alive with Christ. We were dead. We're raised by this immeasurable power of God in Christ. Verse, I'm looking at verse 5. I'm just working through these verses. By grace you have been saved. See, that, that sums it all up. It's not by my own works. It's by the goodness of God that he saves me. 
So he, he made us alive. He raised us up with him. When Christ was risen from the grave, we're connected with him. We're made one with him in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. That's why we believe in a baptism that's com- you know, completely immersion, dunk, dunked under the water. You're made, you're made one with the water, and you raise up like Christ did. You, the Bible says you're raised up with him, and baptism is a picture of that. And to walk in newness of life, it says. So we're raised up with him. And then he seated us. These are all verbs that say it's happened. In God's, you know, it doesn't feel that way to me. I don't feel like I'm, right now I'm seated. Look at this in verse 6. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. That's faith. If you're a believer, you're already saved. You're already in heaven. That's how sure it is. You can't lose it. The devil can't take that away. He can't get to you. You're saved because of how amazing Jesus Christ is. That's why we worship him. Worthy is the lamb because he is our savior. You're seated us seated us in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We're, we're his big illustration. The, the world passes by and says, eventually, <laughs> that is the work of Jesus. It's the fullness of Jesus. He took worthless, dead material and through Im- immeasurable power created the church the body of Christ. And it's the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. This is power, the power kindness of God. We're saved because he's good. And here's the, these are some of the most famous verses, some of the best, you know, glorious verses in all the Bible. You know, like a Godiva chocolate or something like that. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, you know, it's, that's our part, but God works in us. He raises us up, makes us alive, and we believe, we respond. Yes, Lord, yes, I need you, I want you. We're saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Never, never miss that. It is the gift of God. Not your own doing. Not a result of works. You know, this is kind of repetitive redundant but he wants to drive it home we're saved by the work of jesus christ work alone not a result of works so that no one may boast you know, we're not going to get to heaven and say look look how well i did i earned all this you know it's the saddest thing ever i, I have the privilege of you know interviewing people uh and talking with them and over and over you say well you know, how, how do you feel in your relationship with God? Well, you know, I'm pretty good. I've, I've done pretty well. I, I, feel, I feel pretty good about myself. And, and that's just, no, no, we should feel pretty good about Christ. And uh, what we bring to the equation is I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm, I'm saved by his kindness. And that's certain. It's secure. 
If you're depending on yourself, it's insecure. You know you're not good enough. You know you've fallen a thousand and one times. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Again, is this repetitive? Yes. Why? Because we're so proud. We want to say, no, 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 we've got to help him out a little bit. You know, certainly my works must help somehow. No, we're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. He's creating the body of Christ for himself. And, and we are the church. Where, where do we end with this? Well, right in Ephesians, it tells us a couple of good ways. First of all, that we praise his glorious grace. We're called to be people who are worshiping him. We're praising him. Look at the words in verse 6 of chapter 1. To the praise of his glorious grace. It, it's amazing how good he is. He saved us. We are saved through his work, his great work on the cross for us. And then the last phrase from our text this morning, you're created for a purpose. You're created for good works. And so we should be people who are anxious. To, we're not saved by our good works, but we're called to do good works, to be people who are actively working good. Everywhere we go, you know, it, it applies to how you do your job. You're the person who, you realize you work for God, you know? Jesus Christ is actually your boss. You, you, you work to please him. He, he's much more important than that other person that you may not like at all. <laughs> you know? uh, Jesus Christ is your boss. You, you represent Christ in, he's put you there on purpose to be his representative in that place of work, and you do all to the glory of God. You do it well. You do it thorough. You do it honestly. You, you tell people the truth. You do not lie. That, that's what it means to be created in Christ Jesus for good works. Whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great salvation, and please, in your kindness, just fill us with the glory and the joy of your kindness. This verse says that your kindness is great. The measurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We receive that by faith. We believe that. Oh Lord, would you please encourage our hearts to more fully trust the gospel. And Lord, would you encourage us to preach the gospel to ourselves. To repeat the words of grace to ourselves over and over again. Uh, particularly, Lord, when we've failed you and we feel miserable, we cry out with Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. Lord, point us to you. And would you please work in us, oh, Father, in a mighty way that we would do the good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in those. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.